Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the House of L podcast. This is episode 110 of the podcast. We're actually coming up to our year anniversary, or two-year anniversary, I should say. Next week, I think, right? Yeah, June's getting ready to start. So next week will be the two-year anniversary of the House of L podcast, and I appreciate all of your support over the last two years. It's been great, like, growing this thing from just being happy to have 500 people listen to the first episode with Jason Benetti to now there being hundreds of literally hundreds of thousands of listens to this silly little podcast that I do that is a lot of times fun. Like I like this episode is a lot of fun. What's cool about this, this episode in particular is I did this episode back right as shelter in place was starting. Something that I was reminded of when I went back and listened to it today because I make a prediction about Memorial Day. I was a little off on that prediction. You'll hear it inside here. But it was really great to talk with Erica Nicole Clark because she's one of my favorite comedians. She's hilarious. She is. She can be crass. She's very, very crafty when it comes to putting her work together, which I'll let you hear a snippet of her work in just a minute. She's had a very interesting road. You might not recognize the name as being attached to someone famous other than herself, but it is. Erica Nicole Clark is one of Mr. T's daughters, and she has had to 
lived that her whole life. And she has some of the most incredible stories about things that she's seen, things that her dad has done. If you want to know some of the history behind Mr. T and how he ended up being Clubber Lang and all of that other stuff, it is in here. We had a great time kind of going down memory road. And I had I I wanted to tell her because I hadn't had a chance to tell her in person about my idea for Clubber Lang prequel. And she thinks it's a good idea. I do too. We got to get this to Michael B. Jordan or somebody so they could they could put this whole thing together. But beyond the crazy life that is the one of being Mr. T's daughter, she is a school teacher by day and a comedian by night. Last year, I went to go see Dave Chappelle when he did the the pop-up show. He was the special guest at the Chicago Theater. And Erica was someone who opened for him. Like, imagine that. Imagine being there with Hannibal Burris and, <laughs> and Dave Chappelle, and you're one of the openers. She told me the story about that, too. She's a fascinating person. Really, really interesting. Very sharp. And we had a good conversation that I think that you'll enjoy. But before we get to it, so that you know what to be in store for, I give you a snippet of Erica Nicole Clark, her doing some of her work at the Laugh Factory, and you'll get a sense this is not a woman to be trifled with, and she is very, very funny. Yeah, I grew up in Lake Forest, so like I know, I'm, I'm used to being the only black person in an all-white situation. Like, yeah, I grew up in Lake Forest, I grew up in the North Shore of Chicago, so like, I... Who's not comfortable with it are the white teachers I work with. Like, they're comfortable, but they, like, try too hard. Are there, like, black people in here who know what I'm talking about when you work with, like, a lot of white people and they just try to be, like, extra with you? And you're like, chill out. Like, last day of school, this teacher was like, hey, Erica, forgot to bring a lunch today. I'm going to step out and grab something. Do you want anything? I literally said, Tammy, get me whatever you get you, right? <laughs> Tammy came back with Subway for herself and Popeyes for me. I was like, bitch, this is fucking delicious, okay? It's racist, it's racist as a motherfucker, but God damn it, if it's not spicy, Jesus Christ, like, all right. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. This is fantastic. No, no problem at all. <laughs> how are you handling you. all of this? I'm losing my mind, Lawrence. <laughs> I'm losing. <laughs> I can't do stand up. I can't go to work. So I'm frustrated. How about you? I'm getting there. Like it's, it's weird. Cause I never thought that I was the type of person that could handle working from home. Like I always really liked going to the <laughs> studio. Like that was my sanctuary. But uh -huh. once uh, everything kind of broke bad, my station came and gave us what's called a Comrex unit. So I can do the radio uh -huh. show from my basement now. And I kind of okay. like it. Like having a one minute commute is pretty dope. So, so I'm getting used to, I'm getting used to it. Like this will be week three that I'm doing the show. Week shit. Week four that I'm doing the show from home. So okay. 
it's weird because like this it's so strange because this is my office like where i'm at right now is my office and my office Uh is where i do all my podcasting from Uh but now there's in my basement there's like a big like comrex unit down there so it's Uh almost like there are two places in my house that are now an office and so Uh the rest of the house feels different (laughs) i don't know like it it's so it's we're just it's so fucking strange Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, how long do you think this is going to go? How long are we going to be stuck like this? I feel like I feel like at the end of April, they'll say May 15th. That and then I think maybe it'll look kind of normal towards Memorial Day. Okay. Kind of. That is That is the Lawrence Holmes prediction. Memorial Day. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. Well, I'm excited because my birthday is June 6th. And so okay. I'm like, maybe I can go outside for my <laughs> birthday in June. Like, right. it might be possible. But you must be cracking up right now between not being able to see the students and not being able to do stand-up. Right. Because it's just, it's really frustrating. Because, like, no matter how funny you think you are and all that, you really need an audience. You really need like people sitting there like laughing. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, sorry, I said check. Um, but yeah, you like need an audience. You need like to hear laughter and like stuff like that. So it's hard to do like comedy. Like people are doing all these like stand up shows on Zoom and stuff. But yeah, it's difficult not to hear laughter, not to. And then it's diff- like I I like teaching. Um, I like. You know, getting up, I like helping kids out. So I know those kids are going crazy being at home. Like, I'm sure it was cool the first couple of days, but like now it's like. Yeah. Um, I keep thinking about the parents, too, because it's not like they're educators, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's... right? So they're all falling behind, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, both of my parents are, are teachers. So. Oh, know, really? I didn't know. Oh, yeah. My parents are combined. S- 77 no 72 years in cps combined wow what do they teach my dad taught uh he taught english and he Uh was all over the place because he taught english but he was also a professor at northern and my mom taught uh at at a school called burnside over on 92nd street okay and she she taught uh second grade like first and second grade so, Aww. I mean, I had the the whole experience growing up like th- right. this. Would, my mother would have she would I, I guarantee you if, if this was going on when I was a kid, she'd have worksheets and <laughs> <laughs> assignments and right. she'd sorts. be like, I'm ready for this. I've yeah. been ready. For this. She's still like even they've been retired. I think my my mom's been retired now for seven years and my dad's been retired for 10 And, and my mom has like a stack of supplies. So all of the teachers that, that like came up under her, like they Uh can just come by the crib and pick stuff up for their classes. Really? Yeah. She's got a stockpile. Did they meet at a school or did they meet beforehand? No, they met, they met on, on the South side. Like my mom tells a story that. My my dad was just the weird guy who used to walk around the South Side with a briefcase. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and that that she would see him, like she would be looking out the window and she'd see uh-huh. him every day and you know, he would just be this buttoned up dude who used to just walk around uh-huh. with a briefcase and she's like, who is that guy? And then they met when they were in high school and they've been together for 50 years. So wow. I guess it worked for my dad being weird. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Briefcase on the South side. Okay. Just walking around in a jacket. Like imagine, <laughs> like imagine that. Imagine that right. in the late fifties, early sixties, there's some black kid just walking around in like a, like a tweed jacket and a briefcase <laughs> right. <laughs> right off of 87th street. You know, it's, <laughs> That's funny. That's hilarious. It's so bizarre. But yeah, they, uh, my mom used to use, she would call it Camp Rose, like, cause her uh-huh. name is Rosemary. So Camp Rose, like every summer, like she didn't fuck around. Like you could, you, if you had a job, like once we got to like work age, if we had a job, we were exempt, but she's like, there will be no sitting in the house all day. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be doing some stuff. Oh no! <laughs> That's how it is. I mean, you know, you're, you, you. I'm sure you're like that too. Like you're, you're very vigilant. On, I love when you talk about teaching on stage because it, it comes across. It really uh-huh. comes across how much you love being around those kids. Yes, I do. I like it. I like. I don't know where it came from. Uh, my mom was. She wasn't a teacher, but she was really, really, really hard on me and my sister when it came to education because she like. All of her sisters have like masters and PhDs. My mom was fucking too early and had my sister. So like, oh, so we had to, <laughs> we had to make up for that. Cause since she didn't finish, like all of a sudden we had to be like geniuses. So my sister's really good at science and I was always good at math. Um, even our babysitter was like a retired principal and she was insane. Um, so she would, yeah, she would have the worksheets and stuff like that. Like, so, um, yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I, I like teaching kids. I don't like kids. I don't like to play with them or like, <laughs> I don't have any, <laughs> but I like teaching them math particularly. So how did you get into that? Um, I don't know. Like, well, how did I get into, I went to Lake Forest college, um, I wanted to be, um, I'm trying to think how it happened. I started doing like after school programs and stuff like that for like special ed, um, like up in the suburbs. I did like after school programs and stuff like that. And I liked it. And then someone suggested that I do substitute teaching, which is pretty much what I still do now. Um, But someone suggested that I do that. So I would do it like maybe once, once or twice a week. And I, I didn't like it. I really didn't. Um, but then when I started being like full time and I moved to a different school, like I really, really, I don't know. I just gravitated towards it. It was something that, and like, it's weird. Cause there's a lot of comics who are teaching or who have taught or substitute teach, or it's like a natural progression. I don't know what it is. It's, it's standing in front of the class. I don't, I don't know what it is. Well, but. I, I will say that I've thought about it. Cause so, so Helm, Dave Helm, his mom and my mom worked yeah. together. 
So they, oh, really? Yeah, okay. it's really strange because I didn't meet Dave until probably 10 years ago in the barber shop. But uh-huh. then he was like, wait, is your mom Rosemary? And I'm like, yeah, how'd you know that? And like, oh, <laughs> she worked with my mom. So it's very strange like how we're connected. But I think that there's something to the lifestyle of a teacher kind of lends itself, especially if you're doing substitute stuff. It right. lends itself to the lifestyle of a comedian because then you have right. your nights free and you could get out and go work on your stuff. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, and I know people say it, there's just so much shit. There's so much material, you know, that happens. <laughs> there's so much shit. It's like, so it's like, um, you know, but like teachers themselves with students, with parents, it's just so much fucking, there's so much shit that happens. I mean, like, you know, Clark Jones, Clark Jones was a teacher. Um, Amy Shanker, I don't know if you know her, she was a teacher. Um, I mean, aren't Dave Chappelle's parents teachers? Yes. Yeah. um, I'm trying to think. I know that there was like, at one time, there was like 10 of us who like, in Chicago at least, who were working teachers. How did did you decide that you, obviously you're funny, but there's a difference between you're the funniest person in your group and I'm funny enough to make people <laughs> laugh on stage. When when did you get to a point right. where you knew, hey, I could take this to the stage if I wanted to? Um, I uh, I always little. I'll give you like a short abridged. Like I always wanted to do crime. Like I just looked at it and was like, oh, I want to do that, right? And then I remember I saw, but I I don't know why in my head, in my young head, I always thought like that's a man. Like only men do that, right? And then I saw Roseanne do stand up and she was like real dirty and she looked real comfortable, you know, like, and I was like, man, I want to be like that. And she reminded me of my mom, um, like her stand up. Cause my mom's real dirty and would say really crazy shit all the time, you know, like, and so, uh, but so I always said it, but I never had the balls to do it. So uh, I think it was for my 29th birthday my mom bought me like a, a one week or like a one session and eight week thing. It's um, improv Olympic. So I just took the level one thing and I was just like, I'll just take that. And then maybe that'll kill my, you know, comedy thing. So I took it. Um, then I finished the whole program and I was put on a team and it was still like, you know, with that feeling like you're like, I'm close to what I want, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. Like really there, like I'm like, I like the crowd. I like making people laugh, but I was like, I don't like this team stuff. So I went to uh, Jokes and Notes. Oh and I don't God. know why, in my, oh my, in my head, I thought Jokes and Notes was like some, cause I'd gone to an open mic before. So I thought Jokes and Notes open mic was gonna be like that, like some bar, 10 people there. <laughs> and it was like the Wednesday night, Marlon Mitchell was the host. There was like 200 people there and I was like, oh shit. Um, but yeah, I got bitten by the bug and I was just like, uh, I did okay. I, <laughs> I, okay. I would give myself a C minus. You survived it and, and you, yes, did, you didn't feel all destroyed. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Cause it used to have three minutes. I they give you the light at two. I got off. When the light came on, I did not <laughs> go for that extra minute. So I did full two minutes. 
And I was like, okay, I got a couple laughs. And then I was just like, I'll try it a couple more times and see what happens. And then people kept putting me on shows. So I was kind of like, I'll see what happens. I just always said that, like, I'll see what happens type thing. So so once once you you know that you have the bug, how does your life change? Like, how does how does everything around it kind of change? You're like, I need to make sure that I'm out there three or four times a week and I need to learn how to write jokes. Like, how, how do you go through all of that process? Um, so first I was, I was kind of bullshitting the first year or two, you know, like where I was kind of like, oh, you know, I'll do it. And then I let months and months go by. And then, um, so I remember this, it was like in November and like D-Ray had a, a contest like open for me for New Year's Eve at the Airy Crown. And so I went to Jokes and Notes and I did the contest and I won. Right. And that was like in November. And I won it. And so I didn't do stand up again until New Year's Eve. I did okay. But Mary put me on, she put me on a weekend to feature for Tony Schofield. Wow. So it was my first weekend. And I bombed every fucking show. <laughs> the <laughs> eight o'clock to 10 o'clock, the eight o'clock and 10 o'clock on Saturday, the eight and 10 on Friday. I mean, died. Cause I was only used to like two or three minutes. And they give you 10 to 15. I died. I mean, died every fucking show. So then I was just like, I gave myself 100 days from February 11th to May 21st. I was like, I'm going to do at least 50 open mics. I'm going to, um, I got the comedy Bible. It's a book. I like learned how to write a joke. I learned how to like, because I was like, I'm never going to bomb that badly. Because <laughs> it wasn't just like, you know, like Dave Chappelle bombs, but he's still Dave Chappelle. Like he could have an off night. Like I wasn't having off. That was me. That was, that was all me. I was terrible. So I learned like how to write jokes, how to do callbacks. Um, I would try out new material, but yeah, I did like 50 mics in a hundred days. Damn. And so then, yeah. So every other night I would go to like, it didn't matter where it was. I would go until I felt like, okay, I'm getting better. I have more material. I know how to do this in front of any crowd. So then I got, that's when I started taking it seriously. I don't know why this just popped into my head, but I think about it whenever I see you perform. And I'm guessing in some of the places that you perform, the audience is completely different, but considering Mm -hmm. that, that Dave's thing at North had kind of become a thing after the Tribune article, uh-huh. I'm curious, do any of your students' parents, have they seen you do comedy? Yes. You know what's so crazy? <laughs> so I have a girl in my class. Um, she is like one of those nice, she's like the perfect student, really smart, really quiet, always loves to read, never gets in trouble. And um, I told her that I do stand-up comedy. And she told her parents and then they YouTube me and they're like, wow. And I was just like, oh, oh, no. oh <laughs> shit. <laughs> but then, so I was just like, oh, and they were like, oh, you were saying stuff. We didn't have any idea. Right. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, anyway, about your daughter. So I went, I just tried <laughs> to ignore it. Right. And then I went, I did a show at Laugh Factory 
the nasty show, right? And I was like, it was a great show. And then like afterwards, I'm like drinking and like they came up to me like, hey, and I was like, oh, fuck, they're here. Like they're here. And, like, they came to the nasty show. Like this is a little third grader. This is a parent. Like, they brought friends. I was like, fuck. Like, and I was in my head. I was like, God, what was I talking about? Like, I was talking about fucking dicks and like all types of shit. And they're here. <laughs> and I'm like, God damn. And they were super nice, but I was like, oh my God, (laughs) they must be like, oh man. But I mean, their daughter is such a good student. So I'm like, I hope I'm like, God damn it. I feel like, yeah, but they had brought like their neighbors and their, their aunt, like their aunt and uncle. And it was like, yeah, it was like, so I've had that when I used to teach special ed, um, I had some parents come out and that made me feel really good. Cause like, you know, I make jokes about working in special ed and that made me feel good. Cause they were like, Oh, you, you know, they get, people get tensed up when you talk about kids with special needs, they think you're going to like make fun of them. So they were like, Oh, that was really funny. And you didn't make fun of them, you know, like whatever. So I was like, Oh, that made me feel good. Like, um, cause I always wanted, I always wanted if a parent comes <laughs> to, and I'm joking about kids. I want them to laugh. I don't want them to feel like I'm making fun of their kid or anything like that. But uh, yeah, when that little girl, when her parents came, I died. I, I died. Like I had like a vape, like someone's vape in my hand. I was like, like drink. Like I was like, fuck. Like of all fucking shows to come to, like you came to the nasty show. <laughs> Like, what are y'all doing out? <laughs> How much are y'all paying the babysitter for this? Right, I know. It is fucking midnight and y'all out in the city. God damn it, man. Man, yeah. What, what type of venues do you like to play? Because now you've had kind of the, the, the all-around experience of this. So where are mm-hmm. you most comfortable? I'm most comfortable in a larger venue, like Laugh Factory or something. Because if you're doing well at Laugh Factory, you're just like on a high. It's really great. Like uh, small shows, I know a lot of people like, I don't like because it, I don't know. But yeah, I like larger venues. I like mixed crowds, you know, mixed in age, mixed in race. Um, I tend to feel like most comfortable there. You brought up Roseanne. Was there anyone else that that kind of helped light the fuse for you when it came to comedy? Um, like when I was a kid, we all loved Eddie Murphy. Like everybody loved Eddie Murphy. But um, yeah, it was it was Roseanne for me. I don't know why she just she like I watch Roseanne every night of my life still to this day. Wow. Like I I was on like a. 29 year streak of watching her every night. I don't. <laughs> yes. When I was a kid, I used to record it and then watch it every night until a new episode came on. I used to write her scripts out. I don't know what it is about that lady, but I just remember seeing her first joke. Like, I remember turning to HBO. I remember hearing her first joke and being like, damn, that's what I want to do. Cause she said her first joke 
I've ever heard her say, well, she said, oh, since I moved to Hollywood, everyone says I need to act more like a lady and I need to be more feminine. And my manager says I need to be more feminine and my producer said I need to be more ladylike. You know what I tell him? I tell him to suck my dick. And my dad was like, turn this off. Turn this off. What, the, what the fuck she just said? And I was like, oh my God. Oh, I love that lady. I was like, a lady just said, suck my dick. I tell you, my dad was like, oh, goddamn foul-mouthed bitch. My dad was horrified. And I was like, oh, my God, that lady. She just said, suck my dick. I was I was truly in love. Yeah. I, so, um, but, like, I always go with, like, because it's kind of like Dave Chappelle. It's like Dave Chappelle, like, the killing him softly. Yes. Um, he looks so comfortable to me on stage. Yes. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he looks relaxed. He looks like he's just talking shit. Like, and I, I know that's years and years of practice and material, but um, it was like that special probably did a lot for me too. It's just how, I, I don't know. I just have this thing with how people look when they just look like they're just talking shit and they're having fun. The pop-up show, I just on a Sunday night, I was like, wait, what? Dave Chappelle going to be at the Chicago theater. What? <laughs> and and so I got, I got the tickets and I'm sitting there and then I see you on stage and I just got like the biggest smile on my Aww. face. Cause I was like, damn, she fucking made it. Like not just made it. Like she made it, made it. But see, the thing is, I, you know what? I didn't even know he was on the show. What? Do you know that? Do you know that Hannibal text? Cause I was, you know, I'd been touring with Hannibal. Hannibal texts me, Hey, are you free tonight? And I said, yeah. And he goes, Oh, do you want to open up on my show? You know, we have a special guest. So I thought, yeah, I said, yeah, of course. And then I started trying to Google like what comics were near Chicago to try to figure out who the special guest was. But I'm like, Oh, well, fuck it. you find but out when you get there. Right. And I'm thinking like, Oh, special, you know, I'm like, I'm still whatever. And um, I'm taking an Uber there. And Clark is like, holy shit, congrats on tonight. Like, that's huge. And I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. I'm like, I wish I knew who the special guest is. And he's like, it's Dave Chappelle. And I was like, what? What the fuck? And I was like, no, 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 no. And he like, yeah, he just, he said it on Twitter. So I looked at Hannibal's Twitter and I'm like, get the fuck out. Because like, everybody kept texting me like, Oh, like, because I put up there like, oh, I'm going to be on the show tonight. And then like people kept being like, can I come? Can I come? You know, can I be? And I just wasn't paying attention to it. So I was like shocked out of my mind that it was Dave Chappelle. So I was trying to be cool, but I kind of was like, I was fangirl when I met him. Yeah. Well, okay. So you've now made it to the Chicago theater. You got, yes. you got, you're like, okay, I know what my material is. I know what I'm wearing, like all of this stuff. How were, how were you able to put the fangirl aspect aside and go do your set? I, I thought like, I have this thing in my head. And I always think like, if they're laughing, if I can get them to laugh in like 30 seconds, like, like at least like a, whatever they'll, they'll start to relax. Um, I can't even remember my set. I can't remember what jokes I did. I, I just remember being, I felt like I was holding my breath the whole time. Like, cause I was just like, I want to do, I don't know. In my head, I'm thinking like Dave Chappelle will see me, then he'll take me on the road with me. Put, you know, right? So 
um, I was really, really, really nervous. I was so I hate to say it, but I wanted it to be done with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted to get off stage and be like, oh, like take a deep breath. Like you wanted uh, to get to the after. Like you wanted to yeah. get it done and then get to the after. Get to the after and then just watch everybody else and like just sit back and enjoy. Um, yeah, and then like afterwards, like Dave Chappelle told me a crazy story about my dad. So I was like, I mean, not really a crazy story, but it was interesting because I called my dad um, the next day and my dad said the exact same same story that he said. You know what I mean? So I was just like, that's, that's strange. Yeah. So they it, had met. So it checked huh? out like he wasn't Dave wasn't lying to you because your dad <laughs> confirmed it. Yeah. I mean, I knew Dave wasn't lying, but it was like it was funny. They had met, I guess. uh I don't know if he still does, but I guess Conan O'Brien used to have like a New Year's Eve party at his condo in New York City. And he'd have um, like people who had been guests throughout the year at his party. And so my dad, uh, so Dave Chappelle was like, I was in a bad mood because I was trying to sell the Chappelle show. And I was like, things were down. I was not in a good mood. And he was like, um, but he's like, your dad was at the party and is always a big fan of your dad. And he goes, uh, I don't know if you know this. Your dad was smoking weed. Do you know that? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know my dad smokes weed. And he goes, so I went up to him and he was like, man, your dad gave me like the best advice ever. And I was like, really? He was like, yeah, your dad was just talking to me about like how hard it was for all this shit and how he was saying like some shit just works out and you never know and all this stuff. And he was like, he like lifted my spirits up. Like he was like, I left out like, yeah, Mr. T made me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you know, like in the movies when you walk out and you're like, yes, I can do it. Like, um, like pursuit of happiness. Like he was like, I was like invigorated. And then I called my dad and my dad was like, yeah, he came up to me and he was real down and we just started talking. I was like, that's, that's crazy. That's so um, crazy. I know, right? It's so crazy. Yeah, Dave Chappelle asked for my dad's number, and I gave it to him. And then I like that's how I had to call my. But I was like, I don't give a fuck. I'm giving Dave Chappelle my dad. Yeah, yeah. I I feel I feel like that was that was probably the the smart move. And and did you have you watched that set back yet? No. Really? My I don't know if it, is it someplace that I can watch it? I'm, sh- I'm sure Hannibal has a copy somewhere. Somebody's right. got it recorded someplace. Right. That was a crazy that was a crazy night. It was nice Labor Day weekend. Yeah. I I mean yeah. it is literally like there's no way in hell. And I was like, I got tickets. Let's go. And like <laughs> <laughs> And and I had never experienced the you better put your phone in this bag thing right. before. And I was like, this is some shit right here. Right. I, I had never seen that, but you rocked it. Like you were you yeah. were you were on point. Like you were I'm, absolutely I'm, on point. I'm glad that you know people didn't record that because a lot of that shit is what was in his Netflix. Yeah, he was working on stuff. Like that's what you you end up doing. But but for for your career, like how how meaningful was that for you? So like to to put it in the perspective of of your dad giving Dave the pep talk, I feel like (laughs) 
I feel like that's a hell of a pep t- pep talk for you that Hannibal right. was like, come on through. We're going to do this right. thing. And it ends up being Dave Chappelle. Right. Yeah. I thought, I think that is the best moment of my comedy. I have this weird thing. I don't know if you have this. You probably know what I'm talking about, but like, if you ever see people or I, I don't know why it's like, I always knew that somehow I would meet Dave Chappelle. I didn't know that like I'll perform with them or anything like that. I just, it's like, I have this weird thing like Ice Cube. I like feel like I'm gonna meet Ice Cube. And I, um, so, uh, I always felt like I was going to meet Eddie Murphy, like in a, I met him when I was a kid, but like meet him, meet him like as an adult. But like, so, uh, but Dave Chappelle was like my number one. There's nothing better than that in comedy for me. Nothing, nothing else. Well, since, since we have brought him up, let's talk Mm -hmm. about your dad. Okay. (laughs) So, so what, what was this like, like growing up for you? Mm-hmm. What was it like having one of the most famous people on the planet be your father? It was weird. And I know I talk about this as stand up, and I don't think people really know what I mean. Like when I was a kid, we lived on 82nd. And that is when it first started, like when it first started getting kind of crazy. Like he had done Rocky, but like it was. It's hard to explain, but it was like Rocky was out and then like 18 was beginning. But my dad was gone 90% of the year. So like me saying Mr. T's my dad was like, I'm just the lying girl in kindergarten. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. <laughs> like I'm just a liar. And my sister was in eighth grade and we went to the same school. It was like a K through eight. And like, I remember some girls had like fought my sister, like, cause they thought she was lying. Like, Cause wow. we went out, we went out of town once. And I think she said, Oh, I went to California and they was like, you lying. And so I remember my dad came up to school and picked up me and my sister. And then like, then they went nuts, but then we moved to the South loop. We only lived there for like a year and a half. Then when we moved to Lake forest. It became like, it was just crazy because it was like, I spent most of my life with no one believing me, you know, like at that point. And then you go to like fours where it's like, of course it's your dad. You know what I mean? Like, right. of course you're the only black person here. Right. <laughs> and he just moved here and you just moved here. So it makes sense. <laughs> um, but it was, it was crazy. Cause, um, especially when I was younger, like I would say up until like 13, 14, it was like, we went, I went up, my dad was gone a lot. So it was like <clears throat> that. And then, you know, vacations and stuff like that, we would go where he was or, you know, so it's like, I got to see a lot of, I don't, it's hard to explain like a lot of shit that I would see. And then I'd be like, Oh, I, I don't know if I can tell anybody, you know what I mean? Like we go to Vegas and, you know, my dad's hanging out with Hulk Hogan, who's, like, doing lines of cocaine. And it's like, ooh, can I tell my friends <laughs> <laughs> that Hulk Hogan was doing cocaine? Can I tell them that? <laughs> like, is that going to fuck up their, like, little lives and shit? Like, so I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah, so it's always strange. Um, but I got to do a lot of cool shit. Like, to me, when I was a kid, he was always, like, the cool, he was so cool. Every time, like, 
we went somewhere. It's like I got to see somebody I saw on TV. So mm. I always thought that was cool. Uh-huh. What is uh, beyond the the uh, the Hulk Hogan lines thing? Um, what other crazy stuff <laughs> did did you encounter growing growing up as Mr. T's daughter? Oh my God! Like um, that, be, like I think I was bitten by the bug of wanting to be famous. Like my mom and my sister, or man, my mom was really shy. My sister's really shy. Like I was more outgoing, like my dad was. So. Uh, I, I kind of got bitten by the bug of like, there would be people who I know my dad had never met before, but since they were famous, like they'd come up to him, you know, or he'd go, it's always like, like that. So, um, like I said, when I met Eddie Murphy or met him, whatever, uh, we were at a Mike Tyson fight and Charlie Murphy came up to uh, my sister and was like, my brother wants to meet your dad. And we were like, oh, my sister goes, who's your brother? And my brother is Eddie Murphy. And we're like, oh, daddy, Eddie Murphy wants to like, like, please me. And like uh, Eddie Murphy said something like, oh, I thought she was going to be a little mad at me or said some kind of joke. And um, my dad took the picture and then like later was like, why would Eddie think I'd be mad at him or whatever? And we're like, oh, you haven't seen, oh, you haven't seen Delirious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You haven't seen Delirious and Raw yet. So I remember we went home and me and my sister like, which one should we show him first? So we showed him Raw first. And my dad was like, oh, my dad laughed like, oh, that's not that bad. And then we showed him Delirious where he was like, hey, you had that dream that he was getting fucked um, for Ed Norton. (laughs) But yeah, so it's like stuff like that. Um, (laughs) Like, uh, I'm trying to think of like any crazy runners. We always got to meet a lot of different people and you get to see different like energies. I don't know. Like I remember going somewhere, going to another boxing match. My dad was sitting next to my mom and my dad. My mom is normally really quiet. So to even see this was making me laugh. But my mom and dad were sitting next to Michael Douglas and his first wife, not Catherine Zeta-Jones. But they were laughing, I mean, dying laughing, like Michael Douglas spilled a drink on my dad by mistake. And they were like crying, laughing, like, <laughs> like you could hear them across. And I'm like, what the fuck is my dad and Michael Douglas laughing about? Like, um, but I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, like, besides Hulk Hogan, doing that, that's the craziest shit I've ever seen in my life. I mean, especially when you got the dude that's out there, say your prayers and eat your vitamins. Yeah, you want to hear the rest of that story? Yes, please. <laughs> um, so that was one of the WrestleManias, right? And we were in Arizona. And Rowdy Roddy Piper broke one of my dad's ribs by mistake. You know, like while they were doing the tag team shit. My dad had to go to the hospital. And, you know, they patched him up and everything like that. So Hulk Hogan and my dad are in the hotel room when we're sitting there. And, you know, Hawk is having his, you know, having his lines and shit, um, reading his lines, so to speak. And um, so there's a knock at the door and it's it's Rowdy Rowdy Piper, right? And he goes, hey, T, I'm real sorry about. And Rowdy Rowdy Piper did not like my dad, like for real, didn't like him. He didn't like him because he was an actor and, you know, he's getting paid well and stuff. So, uh, but he, he's, he was like saying, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go that far. 
And Hulk Hogan jumps up like, you get the fuck out of here, right? And my dad is trying to like stop them from fighting and like Hulk Hogan, you know, my dad's only like 5'10". Hulk Hogan is like 6'7". So he just like throws my dad out the way and grabs Hulk Hogan. They are destroying this hotel room, right? And me and my sister are like screaming, like crazy, 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 <laughs> like crazy. And like Hulk Hogan still had the like the uh, yellow briefs on and shit. <laughs> like, just, like, oh, God. <laughs> And his wife was like, Terry, stop. I mean, it was like bananas. Yeah, it was some scary shit. So, yeah, that was probably like the craziest thing ever. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty crazy. So, so look, I've been saying for years Mm -hmm. that as much as I love Creed, I, I thought Creed was great. I like it. And that's one of those movies you're talking about. Like you walk out and you feel good. Like after right. you walk out of Creed. I'm, Wait, I got a question. Can okay. I ask you a question? Sure. Which, did, which one did you like better? One or two? I like Creed one better. Thank you. Because I thought Creed two, I would have preferred if he lost. Me too. I we, thought Drago should have beaten. We, we he had this, more to fight for. Yes. And, and he was the more broken person. Yes. Like Creed was only fighting because his kid was deaf. Yeah. Your fucking life is deaf. You knew that was gonna happen. You knew, You're not fighting for shit. You knew that there was a possibility. This like the <laughs> <laughs> like the the moment when when they do the reveal and Brigitte walks into the room, I'm like, oh shit. Oh my god. I'm like <laughs> this poor boy. Like, I hope he kicks the shit out of Creed. Right. I know. I'm like, come on now. He's got so much more. He's he's out training in Russia with his dad driving behind him and shit. Like, come on. I I the part of Creed one that I loved is the the where I really felt like they had captured the whole Rocky thing. The uh-huh. scene where he's running and the biker boys are uh-huh, like, are, I love like I was like I was ready to fight everybody. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll fight. Anybody who wants to go right now, you are so stupid. <laughs> it's the truth. You, you are so dumb. Okay. All right. So look, <laughs> I've been saying for years that I want a Clubber Lang prequel. Yes. Okay. Be- because I think that the story is so rich, and there's so much that's left on the table, even in right. Rocky Three. Like to me, let's see. Like. I would call it like Rocky Zero, like Clubber or Clubber Lang Zero or something like that, where we see his rise to winning the championship. Okay. Because I always felt like the character, there was more development to that Uh character that could have been done. Does this idea make any sense at all to you? Yes, it makes sense because technically that's what, well, that's not what Creed is about, but like. Yeah, technically that makes sense because they put his whole storyline in just a montage at the beginning. You see him beating up all these people. You see him trying to go for, I I think it would be worth it. Because I think Creed, the franchise of Creed, I think it's dead. I I think it would be stupid to bring forth another Creed. So I would go with Clubber. It would just be dope to me, and like it would have that Chicago vibe to it. He could be right. he could be in the apartment with just the sit up bench, the the punching bag, and the refrigerator. Because <laughs> those shots were in Chicago, you know that. Right? I know, I know, and, yeah. and 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 like to me that that's a character that hasn't been explored. Mm-hmm. 
and you could yeah. explore the whole thing. Right. They can. My you, dad has some unspoken beef with Stallone. Yeah. Really? I do not. I do not know why. I do not know why. I don't know if it's just because he has to keep up appearing. I don't know why. But every time that Sylvester Stallone like comes with him for a deal or something, because he wanted my dad to be in Expendables. Of course. And my dad said no. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it is. That's some personal 40-year-old beef. But um, I don't know. That's one person I've never gotten to meet. Now, that strikes me as strange. Yeah, I never met him. Only uh, talked to him on the phone. Not talked, but... Handed the phone to your dad? Yeah. But, yeah, never met. That is... Never even... Did your dad give you any indication of what the beef is? I think he... I think my dad felt as though he was underpaid for Ah. the role. Yes. (laughs) Um, severely underpaid for as big as the movie was for as big as his role was. Um, But as my mom said, the the guy who was writing the A-Team was trying to, I don't know if you know this, but the guy who was writing the A-Team, he had already written it. He'd already written most of the pilot. He just thought that there should be a fourth person that he couldn't think of. Like, so he went to go see Rocky randomly and was like yeah that's the fourth person like that's that's literally how he wrote my dad's character into the script because he went to go see rocky three the weekend it came out so my mom always figured like well fuck it who cares how much he paid you look at what it led to right you know like right you, right. you got an opportunity out of it and you made the most out of the out of a lifetime right yeah because the dude just went to go see rocky that weekend and then was like that's the fourth dude and i'm gonna write this character in yeah so my dad told me that when he contacted him the dude who wrote his name stephen j cannell um wrote it he contacted my dad like everyone hey, you fly out here we want you to shoot a pilot my dad's like what the fuck shoot a pilot. He was like, I knew nothing about what he was talking about. Like he'd already had him in the script. It was no audition. It was nothing. It, it was, was his job. Yeah. It was your job. You just fly out here. We will pay for the flight and the hotel. You're the fourth person. If you want it, that's it. Yeah. There was no audition. There was nothing. It's here's the script. Wow. I'm like, that's crazy. What, <laughs> what has he said about, this life that he's led. <clears throat> See, like, it depends. It depends on what version of my dad. If you get, like, interview version, you'll get, like, I worked hard. <laughs> you know, and all that <laughs> bullshit. I worked hard. I'm not playing for this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all that bullshit that all the people say. I think if he was being honest, I think he would say that uh, he got he was really lucky. And he he worked hard with his luck. I won't say like he didn't do shit, but I'm saying like, um, you know, because with the uh, with the Rocky Three, you know, he just went to an audition with 1,500 other people. Um, but he got very, very, very lucky, and he worked really hard with whatever opportunity he got. So, because I know he just went to the audition, 
Uh, he said there was like 1,500 other people there. And then he said they hit him back like two days later and it was him and Leon Spinks at the audition. Wow. And that's it. And he goes, and Sylvester Stallone was there and he goes, they were doing lines and, you know, he's doing shadow boxing with Sylvester Stallone. Different type of and lines than what Hogan was doing. Yes. And my dad was like, they were literally standing there discussing like, well, this guy, no one knows who the fuck he is, you know, pointing to my dad. And Leon Spinks was a heavyweight champion, but they're like, but he stutters, you know, but he is a heavyweight champion. You know, they were trying to decide, you know, who, and my dad was like, they were just, while we were standing there, they were literally like, okay, well, you know, we'll call you guys back and let you know. So my dad was like, I thought I was going to lose because it's Leon Spinks. Like, of course, they're going to pick Leon Spinks over me, but they hit him up the next day and was like, yeah, you need to lose like 50 pounds, be out in Philadelphia in six weeks or whatever. And my, yeah, so my dad and his friends put him on some crazy training program to drop all the weight. He didn't have to lose 50, he had to lose 30, sorry, 30, yeah. And then he came in looking cut and like a dangerous person. <laughs> yep. I, my dad had the fucked up workout routine. It was like run six miles in the morning and then it was like a thousand push-ups, a thousand sit-ups, a thousand pull-ups, one meal a day. And then at night, run six miles, a thousand pull-ups, a thousand push-ups, a thousand sit-ups. Yeah. I mean, because that's all the fuck he could. I mean, I'm like, that's crazy. That's too many. <laughs> that is. that. That's too many. I, I don't know the history behind the Mohawk. What's the history behind it? So from this is what my mom said. Um, pretty much he because he always had a bald head when he got the. Uh, so this is a very long. This is some Chicago history for you. But my dad's friends, which if you ever notice, my dad has a tattoo that says TCB on his arm. Um, and that stands for him and his two friends. They owned a nightclub where my dad was the bouncer at. So they're the ones that cut his hair into the Mohawk. Why they did it, my dad's going to be like, it's for the Modica tribe. I don't know. There's, they could have been have some good weed. Who knows what, what the real reason is. <laughs> but it definitely ain't no damn tribe in Africa. But um, they cut his hair like that. And they put the gold chains on him. So, because my dad, when he got the role, he was just bald with a beard. <clears throat> but um, my dad was like, they shaved into a mohawk. And then Sylvester Stallone liked it. So they just kept it like that. So, um, but that came back to bite my dad later on in life. Why? Because they, they felt as though they came up with my dad's image. Mm. So they sued my dad and won. Yeah. Yeah. So, because <laughs> they did. Um, so, but they sued him early. Um, they sued him pretty much right after it happened. And they kept getting continuances and stuff like that. Um, then they sued him later and they won. Yeah. So, man. Yeah, by now. When are you going to write a book about this? <laughs> Well, I'm going to write a book about it. And you know who they are? Who the dudes are? Who? That's why I said this is some Chicago history. So if you look at my dad's uh, tattoo, it says TCB, right? Now, today, 2020, he'll say it stands for taking care of business. It does not. 
It does not. It stands for T-Row, which is my dad, Calvin, which is his other friend, and Batoy. Um, so, so Tony uh, Batoy? Huh? So Tony Batoy? Not Tony Batoy, John Batoy. John Batoy. Um, he's like a boxing promoter, and Calvin Hollins, who owned uh, Dingbats, who also owned The Click, who owned E2. So, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So those are the two people who sued. Um, so when they got their money, then that shit at E2 happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like a year later. I was literally working as a producer back then. Really? Yeah. Oh. And I was working on, on the morning show. And, oh, okay. And the, the two guys that hosted the morning show, like they have no, they had no idea what I was talking about. And I'm uh-huh. like, this is a huge story. Like I, it's, I know that we're a sports station, but we <laughs> right, should but like... probably cover this. And so like, <laughs> right. I, I went down there like, because the, the score studios are not that far. Like, you know, uh-huh. in go into the South loop. It, it was, right. it was a bizarre morning. Like, cause trying to walk the two suburban white dudes through right. that process <laughs> of what E2 was and what had happened. Right. Yeah, was a difficult thing for me. Right. It's so crazy to me that, like, I, I never went to E2, where my sister used to go. And then she used to go to the Click. And, like, it's crazy to me because she used to go to the Click when, like, <clears throat> probably when she was, like, 18. She was too young. But she was always be like, there's football players in there and basketball. It's crazy that that used to be a thing. Like, mm-hmm. now you can never go to the club and see a like you know what i mean where he dancing on the dance floor you know what i'm saying like well i mean like you can walk up on him we were we're about the same age so there was a time in chicago Mm -hmm. where if you hit the viagra triangle on the right night you you'd see scotty you you know you'd see gary payton just like hanging out in the middle of the night right (laughs) but now it doesn't happen yeah that's so crazy to me and now they're doing all these private parties, like they're My just private, no phones and everything, right? <laughs> Got to sign a waiver. <laughs> but that's what I used to look. I like looked forward to that, and I never got that. Like my sister was like, you know, like or even the thought of like how black clubs, you worry that something's gonna happen when the night's ending, like people gonna shoot it up. Like she never worried about that shit. You know, be on twenty second in Michigan and chilling out and see a couple rappers and see some basketball players and leave out. You know what I'm saying? Nothing bad happens. Yeah, and the thing is, is that 22nd in Michigan, even then, way different than what 22nd in Michigan is now. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm well aware. Yeah, I, I for the two years, I lived on 12th in Michigan and that shit was fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> It was one nice building and then fucked up. Nothing but missions. Yep. That you are a hundred percent right. Nothing but yeah, it was crazy. Now it's all beautiful and it costs a lot of money to be there now. Yeah. What part of the city are you? South side, north side, West High side? Park. Like I, I live I live down the street from where Helm lays his head when he comes into town. <laughs> <laughs> I I literally like I saw him one day, like I was pulling into the alley to to, uh-huh. to to park my car, and I was like, "Day!" Like I literally said to him because I came to the show that night, and I go, mm-hmm. "Were you 
were you walking down Woodlawn earlier uh-huh. today? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, my boy stays down the street. That's where I'm staying while I'm in town. I'm like, yeah. oh. I'm like Negro, like, I'm like, you could have just stayed at my house. Like, you don't, right. I like, don't have kids and you don't have to worry about, you know, dealing with people's kids. I got extra rooms, man. You could have just stayed right. there. Oh, that's so nice. I like Dave. Dave's good people, man. He's he's, yes, he he's, he's a good good dude. So, what what's the next thing that you want to do? Like once once things get to some level of normal, mm-hmm. where's the first place you want to go perform at? Oh my God, Laugh Factory! Like I just want to be back at Laugh Factory. Like to me, especially now, it didn't start off that way, but especially now, it became such a good mix of like black people and white people, Southsiders and Northsiders. Like I felt like in comedy, that was the only place where everybody mixed together, you know, for mm. um, like, you could be like, what, you know, I live on the South side. You could get a whole cheer for that. You know what I mean? It just, it was a very, very good mix of people. I mean, which led to some craziness sometimes, but that would be the first place I would like to go back to. Um, I love I I like the improv in Schaumburg. That was always fun. I like big venues. Um, but um I think it'll also be fun just to see my other comedian friends, just to like just to like hang out. You know what I'm saying? Like Yeah, it, it's weird because I'm a little bit of a loner. Like I've kind um, I, I in my in my friends, like my good friends will tell you that I'm the guy that is I'll show up at the beginning of the night. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then they'll be like, "Where's Lawrence? He's at home because that's usually where I am." But that—that's you, you an only child. No, I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest okay. of two. Um, and but now that feeling, that sense of community, mm-hmm. it's hard to duplicate it without actually being there in person. Right. It's a really, right. really strange thing. So I, I, that's one of the lessons that I've learned, like throughout this, is. I, I do value, I value my privacy. I value my alone time. I, I value mm-hmm. like being able to be creative, but I really yeah. miss just interacting with people like in Hyde Park, like going to my favorite restaurants in Hyde Park and like talking, like there's a place in Hyde Park called Valoy, old uh-huh. school place. It's like a diner, like a Greek diner. And, okay. and basically, you know, the soup Nazi on Seinfeld, yeah, <laughs> there's basically like that dude, like he's okay. like you, you when you walk up to the counter, you need to have your order ready or he <laughs> clowns you like he straight right. up clowns you. But I've lived in Hyde Park for damn near 20 years. So right. I've known this dude for forever. So I get a pound when I walk up and and he will right. make fun of the people behind me. Right. Be like, can you, you know, can you believe that they right. don't know what they want and all this stuff? It's those type of interactions like day to day that you don't that you take for granted. And now, like, it's it's impossible to even have those. Right. I feel and I I also think this is weird. and This may be selfish. I mean, not selfish, but I think about like my comedy had a lot to do with like me working shit that happens on the L, like all that. You know what I mean? And it's like I um, it'll seem like on like it won't seem authentic to me like if i just go back to the same set like i can't be like oh so this fourth grader said to me they'd be like bitch win, win. <laughs> you ain't been in school 
<laughs> back in February, bitch. What is you talking about? <laughs> so I, <laughs> I can't talk about school shit. I can't talk about, you know, like stuff like that. And I'm like, I was just like, even stuff on the L that would happen, like crazy. You know, you see crazy shit. On, I haven't been on the L in forever. I haven't been like just out, out, you know, with crazy shit happening. And which I always try to put in my comedy and stuff like that. And it's just like, but I don't want to be like every comic where I feel like once this is lifted or begins to lift, everyone's going to have the same material, you know, like everyone's going to be talking about what they watch on TV or their relationship, you know, being quarantined or the coronavirus. And I mean, I get it. I don't have to be like so off, but I just, I don't want to just talk about, you know, like write the greatest joke about relationships and corn. Like, I don't, I feel like that's too much pressure because everyone's going to be talking about the same thing. And you know what I mean? So it's just like, um, I don't, I don't know. That's why I'm, I'm really worried about what I'm going to write about. It's almost like you have to build a whole new life. Right. Afterwards, it's going to take, like, there's some run up time. Like you yeah. have to, you have to get a, a, a like a whole funnel of new stories right to then distill down into jokes that you're gonna do on stage <laughs> right like I feel like for comedy wise I feel like we all like I mean I feel like we all back at zero now you know what mm. I mean like I feel like all our materials wiped out all our all the shows that we had booked it's all wiped out you know like we all started from zero I feel like I've been back to writing jokes out. You know what I mean? Like, um, so it's good for me. And plus for Lent, I gave up social media. Get out of here. Yeah. I only took like DMs and stuff like that. I gave up. Yeah. I gave up social media for Lent because a kindergartner had a real, had a kindergartner. Um, he was a real, real, real smart boy. Right. So I was explaining to him what Lent was, like the week of, you know, explaining to him what Mardi Gras was. And, um, well, I was trying to give him a very, very G-rated. Yes. Like Mardi Gras, you do all the stuff that you want to do, and then Lent, you give it up, right? <clears throat> and he, he was asking, why do you give it up? I'm like, you know, because I'm like, say you just give up donuts. And I'm like, yeah, because you're trying to be like Jesus. And, you know, so he's like, why would giving up donuts make you like Jesus? I'm like, oh, my God, just you know, he like, I'm really, he really not understanding what does giving up donuts, you know? So I'm like, it's to save a sacrifice for something, right? So he's like, well, what are you going to give up? And I'm like, I don't know. And so um, because I'm such a horrible teacher and I always got my phone now and he's like, well, why don't you give up your phone? And I'm like, I can't give up my phone for Lent. Like I need a phone. And he was just like, well, you can only text and pick up the phone and I was like oh man he's like no Facebook and no Instagram and I was like oh shit <laughs> I was like, and he's like I bet you can't and I'm like yeah fuck and so while he was saying it I just deleted the I mean but uh I deleted the app but kept the DMs open because I'm like if I think about it too long I'm gonna be like fuck this little boy right <laughs> so I was just like you know what I'm gonna do it right now and so I went off of it. So it was, it had odd benefits. It didn't have the benefit I thought it would. It had a different. What were, what were you thinking the benefit was going to be? 
I thought like, um, because you know, on Instagram, you can go to your insights and see how long you spend on there, right? Yeah. So while he was talking, I looked and it was like the day before I'd spent seven hours and 56 minutes on Instagram. Right. Now, I don't know if that was like me actually looking or the app being, oh, I don't know. But I was like, God damn, that's like another job. So I figured no social media. I'd be all like super creative or well, not like that. Super productive. <laughs> right. Um, I wasn't productive. I guess I second guess myself. People talk shit. I talk shit about, you know, somebody does a joke or they try new material. I talk shit about people. <laughs> so I always get kind of nervous when I want to do new shit because I don't want to be talked about either. So me not being on social media, now I've been posting lives and stuff like that, but I still don't. I've been easing back on looking at pictures and stuff. It made me be less, uh, I don't know, maybe like less insecure, less worried about people's opinions. Am I like, I figure like either you fuck with me or you don't. So but I didn't have that then. I was always very nervous. Like, if I post this picture, it's got to get enough likes, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, So, yeah, that was the weird effect. Like, if if I had stayed on social media, like, I was even nervous to go on lives and make live videos because I'm worried about, like, I guess I was worried about people's opinion of me, which is weird. <clears throat> um, but I was like, oh, I want to be liked. I want to get enough likes. I want to have enough people on my lives and stuff like that. So that that went away with it, which is weird. That's it's that's such an interesting admission by you, because I've all you've mm-hmm. always struck me as someone who didn't give a fuck like that. I I do like too much or like I'll think of an idea and then I'll see another comic have another idea kind of like it. And then I'll just be like, oh, OK, I won't do anything because people think I'm taken from it. like I, I get in my head a lot. It makes me not do a lot of stuff. So not seeing it makes me get out of my head and at least give it a try or whatever. Yeah. Well, this was uh, delightful. This was um, a, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> this is very fun, Lawrence. This is what the date should have been. <laughs> you stupid bastard! <laughs> I know, right? This, it, things could have gone a whole different direction, and had I just been had I just been smart enough to do it this way instead. You are so dumb. <laughs> So when do you do your bear? You know, my teacher friends love you. Really? They love you. Yes. They are huge fans of you. Well, tell them I said thank you. So we do um, the bear. Sh- like, we're doing a lot of bear stuff now for NBC, which is great. Uh-huh. Um, I can't, I'm actually really excited because the NFL is... They don't care. Like the NFL is like, we don't give a fuck. Everyone else, y'all can you can stop basketball, baseball, and hockey, but we're gonna have our draft, and uh, we we are very much expecting. The president told us we have in a season, so um, right. we we start like really start. Is it's strange to say because it's April when we're recording right. this, but we start getting like into it for real, for real in the next mm-hmm. week. Like we'll start doing draft stuff, and then hopefully we'll have a better idea of where things stand with with sports right. after that. But once the Bears, 
uh, made the move to trade for Nick Foles, people kept thinking that sports radio itself was going to be problematic because mm-hmm. there was no sports. But the, right. the NFL provides like a son of a bitch. And, <laughs> and, and once once the, the Nick Foles thing happened, like Bears fans are just like, ah, like they want to talk about Mitchell Trubisky, like all of that. So uh-huh. the, it, it starts like pretty heavy, like over the next mm-hmm. couple of weeks. But Sundays, man, it's so fun. Like the show, the show that I do with Alex Brown and Lance Briggs and Olin Krutz and Matt Forte, like it's. It's the most fun I think I've ever had doing any sort of broadcasting thing. Okay. Because I used to cover those dudes when they played. Like, I was literally one of the reporters in the locker room. So Mm -hmm. I have history with all of them. Right. And to now watch games with them. With them. (laughs) Right. That's dope. Like, I consider, I'm, you know, because I do this for a living, my friends will often ask me about stuff that goes on in sports. So I get to be the know-it-all in most right. of the social circles that I'm in, right? Right. And then I sit in the room with those dudes. <laughs> right. And I'm like, and I like, don't know shit. Right. You'd be like, tell me, Alex. Right. So that's cool, though, right? Lance I, Briggs, Matt Forte, that's a good mix. That's yeah. That's a good mix of bands they're, 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 they're a bunch of badasses. And they, mm-hmm. what, what kills me is, if let's say you and I are watching the game together. Mm-hmm. I can tell you what's happening, like pretty much. Like the play happens, I go, okay, well, here's what happened. This is why this play didn't work. This guy was supposed to block this guy, and he didn't, and it made the whole thing fall apart. Right. They tell you in real time. Uh-huh. So, like the plays going on, and be like, oh, that this play is dead because such and such missed his block, and then uh-huh. you watch the replay, and you're like, holy oh. shit! <laughs> like, like they see it so fast. Wow! It, it blows cool. my mind. It, I'm, I'm, a, I'm sure it must be like w- when you like watch Chappelle do comedy, mm-hmm. or like watching Seinfeld do comedy, and you're like, "Oh, there's the nuance right. that I've been trying to find, but I couldn't right. quite put my finger on." Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's dope. That's dope. So, so y'all do that every Sunday? Yeah, every During Sunday. Season. Yeah, game day. It's so. It's so crazy because the days are actually pretty long. Like, we usually mm-hmm. end up spending probably 10 hours together. Well, damn. Because <laughs> we do a pregame show, then we watch the game, then we do a postgame show, then we do a podcast after uh-huh. it. But I never, I'm never tired. Like, I'm always right. kind yeah. of invigorated. You, I mean, I'm sure you, I mean, it's same for you. Like, you walk out and you're, you all have, a, you have all that energy that's like energy, pent yeah. up. Well, yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. And you feel like that about sports. That's sports is my second love. Like I used to wish that I could be like a, I love sports so much, so much football, boxing, um, huge sports fan. I think that's because of my dad. So who was your favorite player when you were growing up? Um, I was, I was a big Emmett Smith fan. Um, I was, you're going to hate me. You're going to hate me. No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> Do your thing. Okay. So my brother-in-law, my sister's husband played for the Bears, right? Okay. And then he got traded to the Packers. <laughs> so I used to watch Packers games just to watch my brother-in-law. Just, you know, whatever. And then he got cut. Um, but so I kept watching them because Brett Favre was playing. So I became a Brett Favre fan. Um 
but I'm trying to think. I was a big Emma Smith fan. I was a big, um, my dad liked Walter Payton a lot. I, that was kind of. I'm trying to think, was Walter your neighbor? Walter Payton? Yeah. No. He might. I don't know. In Lake Forest? Yeah, because that's where, that's where Hallis Hall is. Right, yeah, that's where Hallis Hall is. I tell my sister got her dates with the Bears players. You <laughs> <She, laughs> like, "Oh, am I gonna take the dogs for a walk in like booty shorts and shit, walking past Howard Hall?" <laughs> I swear to God, I swear. She like, "Oh, I'm gonna take the dogs for a walk. Why? Why? Yeah." So, so wait, every day at like three thirty, huh? Wait, didn't you guys have your own house? Yes, me and my sister. That that was like when I was fourteen. She was like 21, 22, yeah. What was that like? That it's not everybody else is like, what the fuck? It's not as great. It was a great house. I'm not crazy, but like it was around the corner from my parents' house. My dad had bought it for his brothers and then got mad at them, told them to leave. So it was an empty house anyway. He was gonna sell it, but he let me and my sister stay there. But it's literally my parents could look out the window and see me. Not like see me, but if I went out the door, if they was watching, I mean, if they was being creepy, but yeah, it was cool. Um, I used to like skip school a lot. I have friends over and shit, but um, yeah, so it it wasn't as, I wasn't as bad. Only thing I ever did was like sneak and smoke weed and drink, but like I wasn't fucking at that time. So it, they really didn't have shit to worry about, except for me, like skipping school every once in a while, or whatever. But I was I was a pretty decent kid, except for like me and my friend. We did get caught though skipping school, but like we got caught badly. But like, um, yeah, nothing, nothing too bad. I wasn't fucking. So I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that made your dad happy. That that was right. like what was going on. My, da- my dad still doesn't want to think that I'm fucking. <laughs> I look. I I had a discussion about this on the air. Mm-hmm. I believe that parents stick children at an age, and no matter how old the child is, that's how yep. old they are forever. I think so too. So yeah. so with my parents, like my dad's got me at like sixteen. Like really? when I started to drive, like he's got me at 16. Mm-hmm. My mom's got me at like seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I know your mama has you at single digits. Yeah. Like, you she, have to be. She got me at like seven. Like I'm still, I'm like, I just ordered, I just ordered food for y'all. Like no seven year old <laughs> is, is getting delivery sent to your house. Right. Like my dad in December came, he, he dropped me off at my boyfriend's house. Right. And he like, y'all stay together. And I said, yeah. And he, he's like, you don't sleep, you don't sleep in the same bed. Right. You, he sleep on the couch. Right. I said, yeah, yeah, daddy. Yeah. <laughs> the fuck? Who the fuck? Do? Yeah. He sleep on the couch. I sleep in the bed. Cause me and you know, if you sleep in the bed with them, they, they, they think about sex. I was like, Oh, is this the sex talk? <laughs> y- y'all having it now? Right at 39, 40. Thanks. <laughs> the fuck? You sleep in a bed with a man. He wants sex. Oh, okay. Did you All right. did you ever have any problems 
as a teenager, like when the guy meets your dad? I never see like one. I never brought. I've never brought a man to meet my dad just because my dad, everyone thinks my dad's this very nice Christian man. (laughs) He's not. I mean, he is a nice Christian man, but like, I think about when my sister brought her boyfriend home um, or brought him home. Like my dad was so mean, not mean like, for some reason, he never trips about my older sister having sex or whatever. It's just something with me. I don't know why. But uh, he was just like me. Like, because her boyfriend came, he had a couple chains on. My dad like, what, what is this shit? What is, where you get that shit from? <laughs> he was going in on his chain. He was just like, my sister's boyfriend got real drunk. Because it was like Thanksgiving or Christmas got real drunk. And my sister was like, Dad, can he can he sleep on a couch? My dad was like, he gotta get the fuck out. <laughs> like, wow. And my sister's like, he don't, he'll get a car accident. <laughs> and he's old as lick. He's old as lick. Ain't no man. Yeah. I'm like, that's crazy. So I I never brought a man to meet him. Like my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend was always like, Yeah, I'll meet your dad. I'm going to, you know, be like, yeah, what's up, nigga? Shake your hand. Like, and my dad walked past him. I was sitting in the car. My boyfriend was in the passenger seat. He got out and was smoking a blunt. And my dad came out the house and walked past him. And my dad was like, how you doing, brother? And my boyfriend just stood there like, (laughs) didn't move, was frozen. Didn't say shit to him. Didn't even say hello. Didn't say nothing. Yeah, I can imagine that 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 conversation goes different in your mind. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, Mr. T standing there and you're like, right. And then you're just like, oh, yeah, I've I've witnessed that. I was uh, like I said, I I went to lunch with him and we went to White Palace on uh, On Roosevelt. Yeah. Yeah. And we were sitting there and it was daytime. We're just sitting there. My dad was telling me a crazy story. But a, a white dude came in, like an older white man. He was on the phone and he was going in on a person. Like, you're a stupid fuck. What the fuck? You're completely fucking useless, right? But my dad was like, yeah. So then I told him, he, dude was like, he dropped the phone and he was like, Mr. T, Mr. T. It's like he, lo- he became like a seven-year-old kid. Like, this man had to be like 40. He had a pinstripe suit on, but like the second he heard my dad's voice, he didn't even see my, like, my dad had a hat on, but just hearing my dad's voice, he dropped the phone, like, was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, have a picture. They're, oh my God, like, it was so fucking crazy. And I'm like, I, I've seen people, like, they just act totally differently. They act like little kids when they see him. It's always weird to me when that happens. I want kids, yeah. I'm also thinking about, like, the boyfriend who thought it was a good idea to wear chains to go see Mr. T. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Anthony had on like the little skinny chains, you know, like I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. I'm like, no, don't do it. And I don't think he even thought about it, but I'm just like, Oh no. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like at first, my dad's always gonna be like friendly, but at some point, he gonna get, you know, he gonna start. My dad, kid, if you give him the chance, he could talk for five 
six hours straight. The South Side in him comes out. Yes. <laughs> he tell you a million stories. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that there are a million stories. I, <laughs> I appreciate you sharing your story. This was fabulous. I, I, this was such a good idea. Thank you, Lawrence. This was awesome. So I am going to share this with the world. And they are going to be like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> right. But they're going to enjoy it. So um, okay. I'm around. So if you end up getting bored and you just want to Skype with someone, you want to Zoom with okay. someone, I'm around. If you even want to work material, I'm a good audience. So Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Hey. It was nice talking to you too, Lawrence. I really enjoyed talking with people that are that funny and her life man like it's so there's so much there we could have talked for forever Uh, and yes we did actually back in the day go on a date and that's what I was referring to we actually went on a date I talked about the date on the air she's like that's some bullshit what you said on the air I mean she's probably right there's some bullshit but it She's so funny. She does my my buddy Dave Hellum's show a lot. And I love when I get a chance to see her succeed, to see Dave succeed, local comedy in Chicago succeed. So I'm glad that she had time to, to do this, and it was a lot of fun. And getting her on board with my Clubber Lang idea, that's that's what I was looking for. I was looking for a little bit of validation. And I feel like... She supplied that validation. If you want to follow her on Instagram, and I think that you should, because she's damn funny and she posts clips all the time. Very simple. Erica Nicole Clark. That's where you can find her. And if you go check right now, she actually has a couple pictures of her and her dad up there because her dad's birthday was the week that I'm posting this. So you can go check it out. Erica Nicole Clark is where you can find her on Instagram. So thanks to her. She she strikes me as someone that I want to have back on the podcast because she's just going to keep rising. Once we get to a point where you can actually go see stand-up shows again, I think that she's someone who's on the rise for sure. If you'd like to email the podcast, you can. Houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's House of L podcast at gmail.com. Get a very nice note from Eric who says this. Lawrence, I'm so happy to find this avenue of content. Your ability to bring a varied set of voices to your podcast is fantastic. Helps on my walks every day here in Arizona. Please know that you've taken your talents to a higher level. Oh, dedicated to the advancement of others is a great goal to have. Favorite things have led me to other paths. Podcast, not paths, podcast. Paula Ferris, Michelle McMahon. Yeah, those are her, their podcasts are really, really good. And I've been on Michelle's podcast. I don't know if I have enough faith to be on on Paula Ferris's podcast, but Michelle's podcast is um, she does some really cool stuff with that pod. So does Paula. It's just that her thing is faith based, and I'm not sure that she wants to have a rhetorical argument with me about faith. And my issues with faith, still evolving, those issues. They're evolving every single day. But I thank you wholeheartedly for the really, really nice words about this podcast. And you're right. I do like a lot of different varied voices. And that's where an episode like this one comes in handy. Like she's Erica is, is dope, man. 
and having that be back to back with the air the the episode that I did with Shake with Shakia, man, that's top notch. You can't beat it. You can't beat it. So thanks, man. I'm glad that I am your company on your walk. I am all for that. I know that the people's people are listening differently now because you don't really have a commute. But I appreciate if you're taking me out for your walks because I know that my what I listen to on my walks is really important to me at this point. Like I'm a big fan of the Dan Lebitard show. So getting a chance to listen to that throughout the week when I go for my walks after dinner, it's solid. So I, I hear you wholeheartedly. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Do me a favor. Wherever it is you get your podcast, if you're new to the podcast, I appreciate it. If you if this episode drew you in, please subscribe and give me a five-star review. It helps with placement. We're doing really well. We can always do better. And whatever platform you're on, give it five stars. And I thank you all wholeheartedly for that support. We'll have another great episode. I got a lot of episodes that are backlogged, man. That's been one of the good things about getting stuff done while being at home. Uh, is giving me a chance to really relax and focus in on some of these episodes for House of L. I'll put this video up too. House of L has a YouTube page, House of L Podcast. Search for it on YouTube. There's a lot of cool stuff. Some stuff that doesn't even end up on the podcast, like the Jason Hayward interview. So go check it out. Thanks for listening. Peace.